It is a great joy to welcome all of you to our service here today. I did want to mention something to you before I begin to preach. I had referenced a book called A Crazy Love, written by Francis Chan. And um, I had offered to lend it out to anybody who would like to read it, like to see it. Somebody took me up on that and, and, and read it. They enjoyed it, and they've given it back to me. So I just want you to know, first serve, first come, first serve. I have a copy if you would like to read it. Obviously, you can order one of your own. But if you would like to borrow this copy of my, uh, one of my copies of uh, uh, Crazy Love, you're more than welcome to do so. So first come, first serve, you'll get to do that. And I'd be glad for you to share that uh, and, and enjoy the book. The book has been a blessing to me. That's why I recommend it to you. I want to read to you from the book of John today. The book of John will look at the 14th chapter and the 16th chapter of the book of John. Before we read these two excerpts from the passage, I wanted to give you a little bit of context. So I want to, to kind of ask you to go here with me in your minds for a few moments, kind of using your imagination. I want you to know that by the time these words come to us, the disciples, these men who followed Jesus around, had followed him now in his ministry for about three years. And I don't know if your mind works very much like mind. If it does, I'm sorry to you for that. But but one of the things that happens as I think about about the disciples and their life, I wonder what it must have been like. To be physically with Jesus Christ for three years. What an amazing thing. I think about day to day. They wake up and they don't know what's going to happen. I believe that day to day they are shocked and amazed by this this powerful Lord of glory who is with them. By this time that we will read these words. These men had seen so many miraculous things transpire before their eyes. And many times they were utterly amazed and overwhelmed by what they saw. They watched this man feed 5,000 families with a little boy's lunch. They watched him walk on water. They watched him create wine from water. They saw him stand at the graveside of his friend and call his name. And the man was risen from the dead after being dead for four days. They were present when Jesus taught. And I just try to imagine in my mind what it would have been like to be one of those 12 men who had the honor and the privilege of being with Jesus day after day and hearing him speak. He was such a compelling and different speaker from anyone who had ever lived that it must have been just a a privilege to sit at the feet of Jesus as he taught. And not only did he teach in mass with with great crowds, but they got to be there for private lessons when Jesus would speak to them one on one or small groups, some of them were even present when Jesus went into a high up onto a high mountain and the Bible says he was transfigured and Moses and Elijah came down and spoke to him. What powerful moments these men shared with Jesus. For three years they were with him and, and as I said, his speaking was so compelling. One time Roman soldiers whose job it was to obey their commander. 
That was their job and their life was on the line. They were sent out by Rome, by their their leaders to go arrest and and capture Jesus and bring him back. They came back empty handed. And when their leaders asked them, why isn't he with you? Their answer was because nobody ever spoke like this man speaks. So captivating, so engaging were the words of Jesus Christ. And I sometimes in my little ADD mind wonder what it was like to be one of those men. I, I have said to you before that my prayer is that when I go to heaven, that my mansion is equipped with a playback device of some sort. You know, I don't care if it's DVD or VCR. I don't care. I want to see this. If I had my way, it's going to be like Star Trek's holodeck. I'm going to get to walk around and look around and see all these scenes. And I want to see. I want to see the expressions on people's faces when Jesus broke the bread and the fish and fed 5,000 families. I want to see that. I want to be present. But what, and I'm hoping God will let me do this. I'm just hoping my mansion or my room or whatever it is that God has prepared for me. My pup tent would be good enough for me. But whatever he prepares, I want a holodeck or something like that. So I can watch these things. But I wanted to build this up for you so you understand that the moment that we're about to read, the, the, the scripture we'll read from, is a powerful, uh, very engaging moment for these disciples. Because Jesus had been spending some time leading up to these verses, explaining to them, I've been with you now for this time, but a time is shortly coming when I'm going to be handed over to the Gentiles and they're going to take my life and I will no longer be with you. And other times when Jesus had told his disciples this, they were in denial. They didn't want to hear it. They're, they're thinking, no way. This man raises the dead. This man walks on water. Nobody's killing him. And Jesus had told them repeatedly this was going to happen. And then we get to John chapter 14 when he's speaking to them and telling them what will happen after he is gone. And we're at verse 25 and Jesus is speaking. He says, all this I've spoken. And this this thing that he has spoken is about him leaving while still with you. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace, I leave you. My peace, I leave you. I do not give you as a world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Then let's skip a couple more uh, chapters and the conversation has been continued here. And Jesus is speaking again to his men. Now I'm going to him who sent me. Yet none of you ask me, where are you going? Because I've said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. And unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Those of you who had the, um, uh, were, had the opportunity to share with us last week in worship will remember that we began a new series called Desiring, Desire More. And I want to know, have any of you found yourselves wandering there in those thoughts? Have any of you been thinking about desiring more from God? You'll remember last week I quoted uh, a, a little statement that I've heard a lot of people say to me in my office. Pastor, there has to be more. Got to be more to this life than I'm living. There's got to be something better, something deeper. And I'm just wondering if any of you have been thinking about this this week. I have to tell you, I have. I've been a lot of thought about it. There has to be, been, uh, there has to be more in my relationship with Christ. Has there been any increase in your yearning 
for God to give you more. Have you thought a little bit about life among the thorn bushes? I'll just have to tell you, I can speak for myself. I'm ready for more. I'm ready for God to do more in my life. I, I, I think that there may be several people among us today thinking something like, I think there's more to this Christian walk than I have yet experienced. I think God has more for me, more power, more boldness, more spiritual victory, more wisdom. I'm ready for more peace, more joy. In short, I need more God in my life. And that's what this series is about. Honestly, if I do the job that I think the Holy Spirit wants to use me to do, my hope is that I I somehow raise the appetite and cause within you a desire, a yearning to have more, to be deeper, to to experience a fuller walk with the Lord, a, a richer relationship with Jesus Christ. If I do my job, that's what I'm hoping can happen. I will tell you that this, prom- this, this, this series is based on a promise. It isn't, there isn't something empty to this. There's some real teeth to this. I love what Jesus said to uh, those who were listening to him the day that he taught the Beatitudes. And he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness because they will be filled. I love that promise. That promise came straight from the lips of Jesus Christ and the heart of the living God. In the book of James, we're admonished with another wonderful promise. I love it. Come near to God and he will come near to you. If you want it in King James, draw nigh unto God and he will draw nigh unto you. It's a wonderful promise. God isn't trying to run away from you. God is not trying to hide from you. If you want him, he can be found. He rewards those who diligently seek him. If we desire more, the good news is that we can have more today. That's awesome news. And one more thing that I said last week, I remind you of, if you personally desire more and you want more of God, even if nobody else in this church does, God will grant you what you want. It isn't dependent on a whole group of people. It's dependent on you and God. I want more. I desire more. And I began talking to you last week and, and I, I was sharing with you that I believe that the more that we're looking for is found in the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's found through him. Let me direct your attention again to what Jesus said in one of our text verses in John chapter 16, verses 5 through 8. He's telling his disciples, now I'm going to him who sent me, and yet none of you ask me where you're going. Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. I'm sure at that moment, after three years of walking with Jesus, with him looking them in the eyes and and giving them the news of his death and going away, I'm sure that that didn't seem like it could be for their own good. After all, what's better than having Jesus right there with you? I mean, that's how I would feel, I'm sure. What could be better than that? Hopefully, some of the things that I preached in our last series for Christmas season will help us out here a little bit because I repeatedly taught that in order for God to become one of us and be with us and to relate to us, Jesus had to be stripped of all that was powerful enough to destroy us. He had to come and become a human being and he had to come and be among us and become one of us. He had to do that from the cradle to the grave. 
Because he was born sinless, he was conceived in a virgin through the Holy Spirit and lived a sinless life. He was able to be an atoning sacrifice for us. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But as a human being, Jesus could only be at one place, for example, at one time. He limited himself on purpose. And so, although he was in the world and he was the savior of the world, at that point when Jesus was walking on the, on the earth and walking with us, he was God with us. Emmanuel means God with us. Oh, but we're going to see that the Holy Spirit has a different function and a function that is, in fact, better for us. I, again, submit to you that the more we desire will come from the work of the Holy Spirit. I believe we in the church need a clearer understanding of who he is. Let's admit it. We talk about God the Father quite a bit. And we certainly talk about Jesus Christ, the Son, even more. But we don't say a whole lot about the Holy Spirit in our church. And that's a problem. Because as we get into this series, I pray that we grasp that we'll find at least that he is the one who gives us power, new power, to live a victorious life in Jesus Christ and to walk in our relationship with God. If we'll grasp it, we'll see we really need the Holy Spirit. That power is the key to obtaining the more that you and I desire, the abundance of life, the things that we are asking God for. My good friend, Dr. Todd Crawford, made this observation, and I'm quoting him. I think some of us view our relationship with God as if he is a runway. We needed him so we could take off and enter into the spiritual life and fly. And we will need him at the end to bring us down safely at death. But what about in the meanwhile? And he asked this, what if we saw the work of God in our lives more like jet fuel, something that powers us the entire time we are in the air, something we need at the beginning and the end and all the way through. And I like that quote. and I like that analogy. What if the Holy Spirit were the power that we need to live a godly life and a different life in this world? I'm just going to say something to you, my friend. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, and I'm talking about a, uh, a sorry, biblical believer here. Biblical, that's great. A biblical believer. If you are a believer in the sense that the Bible sp- speaks about it, then you're going to stand out in this world, in our culture, like a sore thumb. We might as well get used to it. And I have some other news for all of us. Not a whole lot of people are going to get up and applaud you. If you haven't noticed in the headlines, Christians ain't so popular in our country anymore. And that's just the reality of it. But we need power if we're to live the life that God would have us to live. And that power comes in the person of the Holy Spirit. And oh, it's my desire that we will have that power. Now, some of you may be getting a little nervous. Oh, no, the pastor's preaching messages on the Holy Spirit. You may have been brought up under a teaching that cautioned you about people, groups of believers who are out there about the spiritual gifts and oh, watch out for them. You might have heard that the term wildfire where you went to church, you know, you got to watch those crazy people. You're not one of them. You don't want to be one of those charismaniacs. You might have heard those kind of terminologies. You've been told that what goes on with those people is of the devil. 
I have to tell you, that's the tradition I was brought up in. And then some others may have worshipped in churches that have taught a lot about the Holy Spirit and emphasized the gifts of the Spirit. And, and for you, it's about time a Wesleyan pastor stood up and preached about the Holy Spirit. And, and you want to hear him and you want him to go all the way where the Scripture goes. And, and there has been a divide in the kingdom over the, the Holy Spirit, which is so unfortunate. When I was a youth pastor in, in Delaware, I uh, pastored a church very near a church. Uh, we, we, of course, were a Wesleyan church, but I pastored very near a church that, that I guess the term charismatic would be the right term for that pastor and for his church. And we became very, very good friends. He, he, the youth pastor over there and myself would get our youth together. And I got really uh, soundly reprimanded by my senior pastor because he was afraid that 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 other church pastor would corrupt our kids. And what if one of them begins to exercise any of the gifts of the Holy Spirit? I said, that would be awesome. I almost got fired. I almost got fired. And w- Just to show you the divide, and this was all in good fun between my buddy from that other church and myself. He would once in a while give me a call in the morning and say, hey, Ken, I drove past your church and I saw a bunch of buzzards perched up there on that dead church of yours. And then I would joke back and forth and I said, you know, something like, well, I tried to call your church and I got a message on the phone. I couldn't understand the voicemail. And we we just joked around about that. But, you know, it shows that there's a divide in the church of Jesus Christ about these things. Can we just relax a little bit and just talk about the work of the Holy Spirit? And can we settle in on who he is? And can we invite him to work in our lives? Because whether you're a Wesleyan or a Baptist or a Pentecostal or a charismatic or whoever you are, you need the Holy Spirit if you're going to live in the life that God would have you to live. So can we just relax a little bit and not worry so much about uh, the divisions that exist in the church of Jesus Christ? And can we welcome the work of the Holy Spirit? Because truthfully, to ignore the Holy Spirit is to ignore the living God. I certainly invite you to speak to me if I teach anything here today or any other time about the Holy Spirit that you have questions about. I'll gladly sit down with you and open my Bible with you and we can talk. But again, the more, and that's what I want to focus in on, that we desire is found in the work of the Holy Spirit. More comes from the Holy Spirit. And here's where I want to start. Here's something that I believe every believer needs to know. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. This is the most important precept that I'm going to preach to you today. It is what I want to nail down in your mind. The Holy Spirit is the living God. We have to start here. You see, the Holy Spirit isn't God's favorite angel. The Holy Spirit isn't some powerful mist that God emits when he wants to do something or he needs assistance. The Holy Spirit is not an it. Sometimes I think believers refer to the Holy Spirit as it because the Holy Spirit does not take a physical form in scriptures. There is one, and I'll get to that in just a second, but he is spirit. But make no mistake about it, the Holy Spirit is God. Name an attribute of God, an attribute of God, all powerful. The Holy Spirit is all powerful, all knowing it's him, loving, just, 
holy, all of those things that you ascribe to God as, as belongs to be ascribed to the Holy Spirit because he is God. And we need to know that. We have a perception of God the Father, right? In our minds, probably Michelangelo's vision of who he is, sort of a grandfatherly figure, the one with the strong jaw and the great hair, the one who we really don't want to make angry because he has that Sodom and Gomorrah thing going on. We don't want to make him angry, but we have this grandfatherly vision in our mind, Michelangelo's type of vision of who God the Father is. And you know who the Son of Jesus, oh, Son of Jesus, Son of God is, right? You you understand understand what he looks like. He looks like this or maybe this. Maybe he looks like this. But you get the point. We have an image in our mind about who Jesus is. But when you Google the Holy Spirit, here's what you get. You get a dove. That's what you get. You know, if you're looking for images of the Holy Spirit, you get a dove. And and it's right that, it's, that, that that's one of the images because that's the only physical image that he took on when he came down. When Jesus was baptized, he came in a form of a dove. But it sort of, if we're not careful, will minimize in our minds how powerful, how wonderful, and how much God the Holy Spirit is to us. Oh, he's just a little white dove. He's just a little bird. And you have no idea of his power because his power is the power of God. And that's the thing that I'm trying to nail down in our hearts today. The more that we want is the Holy Spirit. And you see the Holy Spirit has a role. The Holy Spirit works in our lives. What sort of things does the Holy Spirit do? He does what God does. He has a purpose for you. And the more that we need comes from him. You know, the first time the Holy Spirit is mentioned in the Bible, the very first time is found in the very first verses of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty and darkness over was over the surface of the deep. And the spirit, capital S, of God was hovering over the waters. You see, the Holy Spirit was very essential to the creation of all things. He was there and he worked. And now he is also here in our world in a sustaining role. And he's very active here. He is the power and the wisdom of the church. And he guides the work of God throughout the earth. He empowers and he leads people to live far beyond their natural bent and their natural abilities. He works miracles in us and through us. He is an ever-present comforter and counselor, and peace giver. He moves our hearts. He woos the hearts of lost people and draws them to the Father. Oh, the Holy Spirit is working. In referencing the Holy Spirit, Jesus warned us not to blaspheme him. And in that case, just in case you're wondering, what does it mean anyway to blaspheme the Holy Spirit? The instance was this. The Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day had seen Jesus casting out demons. And they made a horrible statement. They said it is by the prince of demons that Jesus casts out demons. They were saying that by the devil, Jesus casting out demons. Therefore, they were ascribing what was the work of the Holy Spirit because Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit to cast out demons. They were calling the Holy Spirit the devil. That's blasphemy. Don't do it. You'll you'll not be forgiven for blaspheming the Holy Spirit. 
And so that's why some of those people who were saying those, or all of those people who were saying those things, will never be in the kingdom of God. Because they ascribed the devil's work to the Holy Spirit. He is God. We are told by Paul in the book of Ephesians not to grieve the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 5, Peter warns new believers that they should not lie to the Holy Spirit. And Paul told the people of Thessalonica not to quench the work of the Holy Spirit. He is God. He is the living God. He's holy. He's holy as God is holy because he is God. And if you've learned nothing else today, if you take nothing else out of here, please understand that the more that we need and the more that we see comes through him. More comes from the Holy Spirit, and he is God. Secondly, the Holy Spirit is God poured out. As I mentioned, I'm sure it confused the disciples when Jesus told them that he was going away and that that was a good thing. I'm pretty sure they weren't receiving it very well. I'm pretty sure, as he said, their hearts filled up with grief because all they knew was that this amazing man, the Lord of glory that they had been with for three years, was now going to be absent from them. And it must have hurt. And, of course, it turns out that Jesus was right anyway, and he was telling the truth. Because just days after Jesus was crucified and he rose again, and ascended into heaven before their very eyes. Just days after that, the Holy Spirit came and was poured out upon them. And for the first time in their lives, God wasn't just with them. God was in them. What is the role of the Holy Spirit? The role of the Holy Spirit is not just to be God with you, believer. He is God inside of you. And that's big. That's gigantic. God dwells in you. He doesn't live in temples. He doesn't live in this room and this sanctuary. I'm glad he meets us here. But I'll tell you when God shows up, he shows up when the believer shows up because he lives in you. You are his temple. He's inside of you if you belong to Jesus Christ and you're saved. That is a wonderful role that he plays and he is present all the time. He can be in all of us all at once because he is the Lord God. So next week we're going to look like look at what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'll preach a message on that very command from Scripture, be filled with the Holy Spirit. But what I ask you to do this week is consider what it should mean to you if the Holy Spirit lives in you. Okay, now, again, use your imaginations and bear with me. This is a silly illustration, but I just want you to go there in your imaginations and imagine that your best friend walks up to you and says something like this. Dude, I was on a field trip with my kid for class at school the other day, and we went to this ultra-high-tech advanced lab, and there I got bit by a radioactive spider. I now can shoot webs out of my hands. I can climb up walls. I have superhuman strength now. I can hear people what they're saying from across the street. And I have spidey sense. And if that person would say that to you, what would your response be? It would probably be, what? And you might think that you might need to call a specialist to help them, okay? Okay, but just assume that somebody came up to you. Would you marvel at least that they thought they were Spider-Man or Spider-Woman? 
That would be an amazing thing. But what if our responses would be to say, well, that's pretty awesome, but let me tell you what happened to me. I have God living inside of me. What a powerful and awesome presence that would be. And what a great answer that would be. Because that's true of believers who responded to the Lord's call for their life. I can be victorious over sin because God is in me. I have his power. I can overcome temptation because God gives me the strength to do it. I can love people that I previously could not love. I'm going to camp on this for just a second. I have to be very transparent and tell a story on myself that may lessen your opinion on me. But I want to be truthful and I want to be transparent before you about it anyway and hope that you understand the whole, the whole breadth of the story. I was pastoring in, uh, uh, in the church that I told you about, actually a youth pastor, young in my ministry a few years in. And I grew up in a generation that's very different than the America that we live in today. It's just a different culture. And I will tell you that for my culture, if a guy in our high school would have revealed to us that they were homosexual, the guy would have gotten beat to a pulp. It was the culture I grew up in. I grew up in a church and a home where the thought of somebody homosexual was very, very repulsive, especially a homosexual male. And so I entered into ministry with all of this prejudice. And I hate to even use this word, but it was true. A disdain for any homosexual male. And I remember one day that somebody was telling me they were down at Rehoboth Beach and they saw two men walking down the beach holding hands. And I still remember the words that came out of my mouth. And I'm ashamed to tell you what I said, but I said, if I ever see that, I'm throwing a rock. Such was the depth of my hatred toward homosexual males. I used a term, they make me sick to my stomach, and I don't want anybody that close to me. And then the Holy Spirit began to speak to me. You see, God lived in me, and all of my hatred was clouding the fact that Jesus died for homosexual males, and that he loves them, and that they have a soul, and they need the gospel. And how dare I? hate them. And I began to wrestle with that. And shortly after the Holy Spirit began speaking to me about it, didn't God place a homosexual male? And for lack of better terminology, I'm not trying to sound unkind here. What, what people would say flaming. Okay. Very effeminate guy comes in in my youth group and the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and said, I love him and I want you to love him for me. And I'll tell you, it was against my, if you will, at that time, learned instinct or learned hatred. And I thought to myself, man, I don't want to be anywhere near this guy. But the Holy Spirit wouldn't let go of this. And so eventually I got to know this young man. And I sat down with him and I began to talk to him and learn his story. And I won't bore you with all the details, but God gave me the privilege of leading him to Christ in that ministry and discipling him. I'd like to give you the Billy Graham story and tell you that, you know, he emerged from that culture forever. And uh, but after I had left that area, he went back into that lifestyle. But I had the privilege of ministering to this young man. And he now knows the love of God. And here's what was amazing, what the Holy Spirit did for me. Instead of condemning me and throwing me in hell because I hated someone, which was sinful 
He, through bringing that person to my life, taught me how to love homosexuals and taught me that there are people with just a need for Christ just like I need Christ. And he forgave me and he changed my heart. And I will guarantee you, God, the Holy Spirit, did that in me. That's how he works. You see, he is God poured out into us. And what a powerful thing it is. And so because of the Holy Spirit, I have the capacity to love people that I used to not be able to love. Got anybody in your life that's hard to love. The Holy Spirit will empower you to do it. I can witness to people. I can pray and miracles can happen. And it has happened for me. I have asked God to do things and a miracle has happened. That's the Holy Spirit working. I can understand things of God that people much smarter than I am cannot understand. The Spirit is teaching me. I have the Holy Spirit in me. And so it isn't just me here bragging, but the things that I can do or have been empowered to do happen because God is in here. And he's in this temple and he lives in me. And sure, life has its challenges. But the Spirit of God, believer, is living inside of you if you're a believer. What do you mean you can't overcome? What do you mean you can't forgive somebody? What do you mean you can't give when God tells you to give? You have the Holy Spirit in you. What do you mean you can't be obedient? The last thing I want to suggest to you or, or tell you or submit to you is that God, the Holy Spirit, is our counselor. He's our counselor. I just covered some of this, but we understand that the Holy Spirit in this passage of Scripture is identified by Jesus as the counselor. Elsewhere, Jesus calls him the comforter. We seek out counselors when life overwhelms us, right? We seek out counselors when we experience heartache that we don't know how to deal with. We seek out counselors when it's apparent, apparent that our thinking is flawed. You ever get stuck somewhere in your head? I surely do. We seek out counselors when we can't control ourselves and we're on a road to self-destruction, when we don't seem to have the ability to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We seek out counselors for help. We seek out counselors when we feel like we're totally broken. And by the way, Please don't be one of those people that says that if you go to a counselor, you don't have faith because that's not what the Bible says. I'm just telling you, counseling is needed at times. Sometimes even medicine is needed. That's between God and that person. I just need to tell you, I don't think that Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit as counselor, as comforter, haphazardly. I believe he meant to use those words. I think there's significance and a purpose to Jesus calling him that. I think it's one of the roles of the Holy Spirit. I just have to tell you that on a personal level, and this is where I can go from my own experience, there have been many times when God, the Holy Spirit, has given me counsel, given me wisdom when I didn't have wisdom and didn't know what to do. And God has been present to guide me. There have been times when I have cried until I thought there'd be no more tears and God the Spirit has come in and lifted me and comforted me. Are any of you with me here? God, the Holy Spirit, is our counselor. I was 
in my first pastorate for a little while. And one day in our service, uh, we had a guest. A young lady walked in. She had a couple of boys with her. Her name was Eileen. She had three boys with her. She walked into the service, and God was good. The Holy Spirit anointed, and Eileen got saved in that service that morning. Came to Christ. The little boys were in our uh, our children's church, and with tears just streaming down her cheek, man, she was just overjoyed by what God had done for her. She sought him at an altar rail. We have regular altar rails there. And she sought him, and God really met her there. A powerful move of God. And I was rejoicing over that, of course. And then the next week, I look up, you know, and church is filling up. And suddenly Eileen shows up with her three boys. But she's got a man with her in tow. It was her husband, John. John did not look happy. And in fact, John was not happy at all. He came in the church and we, we finished the service. And as I always do, I was at the door greeting people as they were going out. And finally, Eileen and John came through and I stuck my hand out and Eileen introduced him. And, and uh, as John and I shook out my hand, I said, thanks for coming, John. He held on to my hand and he physically drugged me outside the door. I'm going to talk to you for a minute. And he said, listen here, preacher, don't you try to shove Jesus down my throat. I came here because my wife made me come. I don't want to hear any more about Jesus here. And I said, well, wait a minute. If you come to church, you're going to hear about Jesus. He says, I get that. But don't you try to come save me or something. I said, "Okay, John, that's all right. That's cool. He said, because I'm not the kind of man to mess with. I said, "Okay, that's cool. No problem, buddy. And so he came and every Sunday he would come and he sit there and scowl. You know, he was he was frustrated and angry and I could see the Holy Spirit was convicting him. The Holy Spirit was wooing his heart and convicting him. And what the Holy Spirit guided me to do is say, hey, make a friend with this guy, Ken. I'm going, oh, you mean Mr. Happy Pants, Lord? I wasn't too fond of John, to be honest with you. He had this nasty look on his face and he made it pretty clear he didn't like me. And honestly, just in the flesh, I didn't care too much for him either. He had kind of threatened me. I don't go for that. So anyway, the Holy Spirit just said to me, I want you to make friends with this guy. He needs me. And so one day I was just talking to John. I said, John, what do you do for fun? He says, why are you asking? I said, I want to know. That's why I'm asking. You know, what do you do? He says, well, I, I'm not very good at it, but I like to golf. Bingo. I said, you have just met somebody who is a worse golfer than you. Let's go. And so that's what we started to do. We became golfing buddies and we laughed a lot at each other. And God began to break his walls down and I was able to talk to him. And one day on a Sunday morning, John grabbed a hold of Eileen's hand and they made their way to the altar. And John received Christ. And and that was a wonderful moment there. But John had a lot of baggage. I didn't know his backstory. I didn't know what was going on. And John, John came to Christ, I believe, as sincere as he could be. But he, he definitely still had a lot of edges that were rough. And one day, I got a, a call from Eileen. And this is before cell phones and all of that. And she was panicking. And barely I was barely able to understand her. She was hysterical. And she began to scream, um, I need help, I need help. And uh, suddenly, to, she screamed, and I heard the phone go totally dead. And I jumped in my car and I raced out to their house. I didn't know what was going on. I, I started praying to the Lord, oh God, please show me what to do. Show me how to help. And I arrived at the house and 
at the moment, it was a relief when Eileen came out at the door, and I, I didn't catch on her facial expression the full uh, meaning of what was going on in her home. But I kind of walked past Eileen, and I said, where's John? And she just said, he's inside. And she was trying to tell me with her eyes, don't go in there. And I, I went inside the house, and I found John. He was sitting in the living room. Well, I called to him in the kitchen. He says, come on in. And he was sitting in the living room. When I walked in the living room, I saw him, and I said, John, what's going on? And I sat down just beside him. I was on the couch, and it was then that I noticed that John had a fully loaded thirty-eight special sitting right here. And I began to talk to John and said, John, what's going on? What's, what's happening here? And he says, well, and, and Eileen had come in, and she was pale as a ghost. He says, well, pastor, or preacher, I guess it's about time you know who I am. And he began to tell me his past. He had hurt an awful lot of people. He and Eileen had come together because of, of having an affair at work, and they broke their marriages up. And, and he was telling me all these terrible things, all the people he had hurt. He had been connected with some type of gang. And he was sitting there just telling me all these things, his hands right next to the gun. And all of a sudden, as he's spitting this stuff out, he jumped up on his feet and stood in front of me, had, his, had picked up the gun. He said, what's the matter with you? He's screaming at me. And I said, what are you talking about, John? And I will tell you just to stop. I was praying because I, I knew that as I was sitting there, I was thinking about my wife and my children. And I was thinking I may die here today. And I was saying, God, just give me the right words. And I can tell you, God gave me a calm in my spirit. It normally would have been pretty freaky, but I was very calm. And I said, John, what are you talking about? He says, you're not any kind of a preacher because any preacher worth his salt would have walked out when a man was telling you all these things that I'm telling you about myself. Why are you still sitting here? And I was just able, the Holy Spirit gave me words to tell him how much the Lord loved him and that the Lord would be willing to forgive him. And for whatever God gave me to say, I don't remember it all. It's like a blur. Whatever it was that God gave me to say struck home in John's heart. And he looked at me and his chin began to quiver and tears began to track down his face. He says, you mean that Jesus Christ would forgive me for all of this? And I said, oh, John, he's been waiting to do this. And he put his gun down and he wrapped his arms around me and began to weep. He says, I need this. My life's a wreck, Pastor. And he said, can we pray now? I said, of course. We knelt down by the couch. Gun's still there. I felt like getting up and getting it. But I felt like I had something to do. And I laid hands on him and we prayed. And while we were praying, suddenly he bolted up to his feet. And this great big smile was on his face and tears tracking down his face. And he scooped me up and he hugged me and jumped up and down. And he said, he's done it. He's done it. They're gone. I said, what's gone? He said, my sins, they're gone. He's done it. And then he said, would you please sit down for a few more minutes, Pastor? And I said, yeah. And he began, he's still crying. He says, do you know what I was about to do? And I said, I have no idea, John. He said, when I saw Eileen calling you, I ripped the phone out of her hand and out of the wall. And I hoped you would come. And my plan was to blow your head off, blow her head off, Go kill my ex-wife and then blow my head off. He said, that was my plan when you walked through those doors. I'm saying all this to say, I'm not superhuman. There's nothing special about me. But I have the Holy Spirit inside of me. 
And the Holy Spirit is my counselor. He is my guide. He is my comforter. He kept me in a, in a state of mind where I was able to deal with this horrible situation. That's God. That's not Ken. I want you to know that the more that we seek is him. I need him in my life. I don't want to grieve him. I don't want something in my life that is in the way. I don't want thorn bushes that we talked about. I don't want to live there anymore. I want to be filled with God's spirit. Would you just take a moment to join me in welcoming the Holy Spirit in a new and fresh way? Would you join me in just yielding to him and saying, Oh, Holy Spirit, if you'll play some music, please. Oh, Holy Spirit, come to me. I yield to you. If you desire more, please understand you can have more. Comes from him. Pray to him. Yield to his will and invite him to speak. Let's obey God's direction in our lives. Your heads are bowed. Your eyes are closed. Let's pray. Spirit, lead these next couple of moments. Help us here. In Jesus' name, oh God. With your eyes still closed and your heads bowed, is there anybody here who would say, you know what, that story about John, I might not have done all those things, but man, I know what it means to just need forgiveness. I need to give my heart to Christ. I need his forgiveness. I want what John got. I want to be forgiven and I want the Lord to take my sins away. If you are that person, would you slip your hand up where I can see it? I'm not going to come to you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to know who you are so I may pray for you. I want to receive Christ as my Savior today. Is there a Christian who, like me, you just sensed that in 2016 you just need more? And you need more of the Holy Spirit's work in your life. And you'll just acknowledge that to God by lifting your hand up. And all I will do is pray for you. I won't come to you. If you want to talk about this, come to me. But other than that, I'm just determined with God's help to seek him. I need more. I need better. I want to live the life that God would have for me to live. I want power in me. And that's my that's my prayer to the Lord. Thank you for lifting your hands. Father, you've seen our hearts. You've seen our hands. You know our lives. Be glorified, Lord. Guide this series. Next week, when we talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit, Lord, take away the fear. We have nothing to fear by being filled with the Holy Ghost. I pray you will fill us, oh God. I pray we'll see an outpouring of your Spirit in our church. God, I want to go to a church that's filled with your Spirit. And where the power of God is evident and where miracles happen because I don't want to just do just what people can do. I want to see what God does. Please minister to our hearts today. And thank you for meeting with us. Bless us now as we dismiss. In Jesus' name, amen.